Father, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for speaking to us. And that's what I'm anticipating today. God, that you would speak to me. And then that you would also speak through me. God, I pray the same thing for my friends that are here. That you would speak to them today. And then that you would continue the partnership that you have put in motion. And you would speak through them today as well. We look forward for how you are going to be involved and interacting in our lives. And we're just excited to see what you do in our midst. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing again with the gifted. You are the gifted. Those who are believers in Christ, we are called the gifted. Set aside, called out, um, gifted for the work of God. And we have been looking at some of the specific giftings that we have been given. Again, the point of this is to give us a common language. Um, these things are talked about in many different ways, and quite often, just in, in pockets, we're trying to do a big chunk, all talking at the same time, so we can deal with this together. We'll have a common language, a common understanding, and as we put our foot forward into this new, large step, into a, a big change in our ministry, we want the focus and the change in our ministry to be God-honoring, God-focused, Jesus is what we're about. He gave us gifts so that we would be able to build each other up, to build up the church. If we don't know them, we can't use them. If we're not terribly concerned about it, we will choose to ignore them. And we have been called to use them. So our church right now has a certain number of gifts in them, in it. If we don't use those gifts, we, the body, lack. We need what God has given you. And so we're going to try and help you um, discover what some of those things are to help look at what yours might be and then to bless you, to call you out and to encourage you over time to see if this really is the way you work, the way you fit. But you know what's really hard to adjust? Um, there's kind of an internal thermometer that many of us have, but we don't, we don't take the time to really evaluate it. We, we respond to it, but we don't take the time to calibrate it, clean it, or set it up properly. It's really hard to adjust expectations. Expectations, we have them. We didn't think about making them. For the most part, they're just there, and we've got them, and we don't know what to do with them. But they become consuming. When I have this belief that you are supposed to do something, I expect you to do it. And when you don't, I'm frustrated. And I have expectations on you, I have expectations on myself. I have them on my friends. I have them where I work. I have them at my church. I have them for my spouse. I have them for my teacher. I have them for my partner, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I don't have all of those. But we have expectations on the people around us. If those ex expectations are too high, we become a perfectionist. And we, we don't notice what's right. We notice what's wrong. And we end up never being satisfied. We have no idea what it feels like to be content. We are always discontent. When expectations are too low, we set the bar under where it should be. No one's challenged. We're not, we're not calling ourselves out. We're not getting the best out of anything. We know in, our, in our, our mind inside that we're not measuring up. It's not that we're not good enough. It's that we haven't even come to the end of trying. We're just flat. And when you have that with somebody else, it, it, it makes for a very unhappy relationship. And our, our expectations, again, bring us back to being discontent. And there's a huge danger surrounding expectations. 
especially those that are never communicated. One a beautiful thing happened today, and I, I don't know if you noticed it. It probably won't matter much to you at all, but to me, it meant a great deal. We have uh, a schedule that we set up that people respond to. And they say, yeah, I can do this. I'll be in that. I'll be do that. And this week, we had to have a change out. Last minute, someone had to change out. And so we are looking for someone who could say, you know what? I can run media. And Philip, when he came in, thank you, Philip, he looked at me. He says, Graham, you shouldn't be there. I can do this. I'll come in. It's not my week. I'm not supposed to do this. But he exceeded my expectations in this area because someone saw that I had a need and they didn't want me to butcher everything for everyone else. They thought if we can get him off, things will be better. Those kind of communication things that happen underneath, I didn't say it to anybody. I didn't make a... It was well done, sir, well done. Um, we have a problem sometimes when we don't communicate our expectations because I could have also sat there and just been very upset. I could have kind of glared at people and said, why didn't you? You can see. Why? why what do you sit? <sighs> I could have done that. And I probably do that sometimes. Um, the reason that we are focusing on the gifted right now is not just to build a common language, a common understanding so that we can all work together as a family, although that's hugely important. What we're going to try to do is to recalibrate and adjust our expectations about each other. Why? Because unmet expectations destroy churches. Unmet expectations drive people away from each other. And as we continue to talk about the gifts that God has given to us, keep asking yourself the question, what are my expectations? What do I think that somebody else should do? What do I think that I should do or shouldn't do, right? The point is that today, especially, we allow Jesus to adjust some of our expectations of what he thinks and of what he desires. It's not about what I think and what I desire. Why? Everywhere else, they tell you it's all about you. The customer is always right. Let's do what he asks for. Let's change it for you. We, we, we go in and we expect that this is the way to do it. But in church, we have an understanding, and we need to make this understanding clear so that we don't have unmet expectations. You are not the most important person here today. Because when we come, we have a collective way of saying, a refocus on somebody other than myself, the first person we say, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of our lives. He is Lord of everything. He is Lord of this church. He is the senior pastor. He is the lead leader who's leading this place. And how we do that, well, we're still working on doing that better. But we're trying to say this is a mentality and it's a choice. We choose to ask Jesus to intervene and to speak up, to comment on. What do you think, Jesus? And we also expect that at some point he's going to speak. And he doesn't just speak to one of us. He can speak to any of us. And we need to be able to listen in that way as we learn to follow him better. With expectations, God is going to move us from emotion or intellect in the way we analyze things more into motive. Why do you expect that? What is it that you think is behind that? And frankly, we don't enjoy that trip. 
We don't like it in that way. I like to be able to say, you know what I thought? You know what I think? The way I feel about this? That's the way things should be because I thought about it. You know what I can remember? Someone else? Somewhere else? This is what they did. And we have that. We think that's the way to go. But the underlying reason, the motives that we have are typically very, very selfish. I want this because this is what I want. And so in this trip, I'm going to encourage you to be ready, be willing to submit to the lordship of Jesus. What is he saying to you? How is he guiding you forward? Remember, in our loving, gift-based acts of service, we are to be experiencing what? Three-letter word, what? Yeah! We're supposed to be experiencing joy. Joy is an important gauge for us. We don't have dials and switches. But joy is one of the things that we're supposed to be there, uh, that's supposed to be there. Are you serving currently in a place that's bringing you joy? We could stop that sentence a little earlier though, right? Are you currently serving in a place? Are you currently serving in a place that brings you joy? I didn't say, does it make you happy? Joy is something a little bit different. It's not just, does it make me feel good? It's part of a connection process that helps me to say I'm connected to God. So joy and service and gifts, they're all connected in Scripture. They all go together. And one way for us to see how is our life working out well, evidence of the presence of the Spirit in our lives, three things that we can look for. Evidence of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. We will find joy. We will find fruit. And we will find power. Joy speaks of the connection to God. Fruit speaks of the way it makes a difference with the connection to the people around us. And power means it, it, it's happening beyond simply my own strength, my own abilities for a longer time in a more intense way. Joy, fruit, and power, evidence of the Spirit in your life and in the life of our church. So last time we talked about teaching, exhortation, and apostleship. Those are the three gifts that we covered last time. So if you didn't listen to that, again, please go back and listen so we can have a common understanding of these things. Before that, we talked about more. Go back at the whole package. They're all free. You can listen to them, but we want to have the same language. We have all of our sermons are there, but the only ones I've ever really encouraged you to listen to again is this series, that we would all have a common language for understanding where we're going forward. Today, we start with a spiritual gift of leading or leadership. And we can read about that. We've read in a number of places. You remember, we have a gift list in Romans chapter 12. That's the one we've gone to a, a whole bunch. There's other places. We keep popping in and around. But Romans chapter 12, verse 8, it says, if it's to encourage, mid-sentence, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And that will probably adjust some expectations. It will also clarify some unspoken tensions that have existed under the surface, maybe here, and maybe also in other places that you've been. The gift of leadership is not the gift of administration because there already is a gift of administration and it's different. The gift of leadership, the, the gift that God gives here is all about what and where. It's almost never about how. You can see how this starts to become a little bit of a tension, right? We kind of like one package for everything. It's vision, not necessarily implementation. It's this is what it can look like. How do we do that? We need to discern that together. We need somebody else to come up and speak into that. 
When we went through the love gifts, we looked at administration. We saw that administration is a second chair gift, which means it's, it sits beside. It works with. It's a supportive gift. Works alongside, with, and underneath the gift called leadership. It's not about importance. It's about role. It's the way we work together. The gift of leadership is central to absolutely every local church. Here's some definitions that you can play with. See if these help you. Spiritual gift of leadership is to exercise influence over a group, to lead it towards a vision or a goal, enabling the body of Christ to accomplish God's purposes for that specific group. Another way, a person operating with a leading gift demonstrates the capacity to exercise influence over a group and to lead it towards the goal or purpose with a particular emphasis on the capacity to make decisions and keeping everyone together. Leadership in the church is about vision. Vision is not about stuff. It's about the overarching, the whys, the hows. Not the hows, the whys and the whats. It's a conceptual kind of thing. Where and, and what? Leaders are the ones that God speaks to to tell them what the promised land will look like before they ever get there. They see the ark before it's built. They see the temple built before the idea goes public. They describe what will be, what can be. If we together come together, this is what can be. They are the ones given that, that heaven sent where and what to guide people forward. But in Scripture, they are almost never given a how. The how is discovered. Those with this gift, this is complicated. They need to be deeply connected because you can have the gift, but like we said with all the other ones, without character, they all go astray. The character, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit are so essential so that we don't get the right message coming out in the wrong way. God will continue to send a message, but we can butcher it in the delivery. And so we have to be connected with God. We need to hear unbelievably clearly what God is saying to a leader so that they can fully live out what they've been charged to do with what God is saying. Without that close, personal, deep relationship, the spiritual discipline, the spiritual gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, if we can't hear clearly, vision will look different than what it was that God sent. It might look good. It might look great. It might even seem profound. And quite often we're satisfied by that in a short-term kind of way. But one way that you will know is that it will ripple into eternity. If it doesn't have a long, deep, transformative quality to it, it doesn't really matter. It could have been fun. It could have been nice. People could have talked about it. They could have mentioned it to other people. But what we're looking for is something that makes a difference moving all the way into eternity. Many people have the gift of leadership, also tend to have the title or the office of pastor. But they do not have the gift of pastoring. Do you see the problem? The gift and the office don't line up. You see how this can lead to wrong expectations. Because I had a pastor office once who did this gifting. Therefore, every pastor office should do this gifting. What we're saying is that you look at people based on the gifting that they have, 
not on the title that they keep. And that we try to reinforce that. If we title somebody, that we try to make it seem like it's specific to them. The, the gifts that are here are what we're trying to encourage, not simply a job description. Otherwise, we're going to have unmet expectations. When we use the same word to describe many things, we get deep potential issues because I say this and I use the same word. When you say this, you mean something entirely different. And we say, how come we don't agree? Why don't you? How come it's not? Much of what we decide has been culturally driven. It's been historically driven. Somebody else did this. You know what? This is what I see most people doing. But we're not making our decisions based on the Bible. They're not biblically dis um, driven. They're just accepted from the past through history or through our culture. What we're saying is character that's bound to a gift. That's the way we're supposed to see each other. Not just leaders, but all gifts. We see them as character attached to gifting. It's not about importance. It's about role, how we fit together. Not about a job title, but about spiritual gifting. So do these symptoms describe you? Is leadership you? You have the ability to give leadership or vision from God for a group. You have an ability to influence others in that direction. Sometimes there's an ability to organize or build structures effectively. Typically, they operate in conjunction with other gifts. They will probably have at least one or two other gifts, perhaps a word gift or a power gift to go along with this um, leader and gift. Does that sound like you? Are you called as a leader spiritually by God? Does that resonate with you inside? Consider that. The next gift we're looking at is pastoring or shepherding. Different ways they describe it. And this is a powerful gift. This is an incredibly important gift. It's beautiful. It's necessary in the deepest, most earnest terms necessary for the church to be the church. The only way that we can do church well. We'll hear about this one if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Ephesians 4, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Always comes back to so that the body of Christ, the church, the people, you, us, we, would be built up. That's the point of the gift. So if your implementation of the gift doesn't build up, you're doing it wrong. It's not about what you're saying is right. It's about what's functionally there. You're supposed to be building up. Now, you notice all those gifts that were mentioned are all others-centered. It's the whole point of the spiritual gifts, not just to build up this group of strangers, but to intentionally be involved in the lives of others. So it's not about our identity saying, this is what I am, this is who I am. It's not about our knownness, that ability to become known to the people around us. It's about God's glory and about supporting each other. One of those gifts was pastoring. Remember, we're talking about the gift now and not the office. Pastoral gift is the capacity to express concern and care for members of a group. So to encourage them in their growth. Help them grow closer to Christ. Develop their faith. This involves modeling maturity, protecting them from error, and disseminating truth, giving truth out. This special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ 
to assume long-term personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of that group of people. Concern, care, model, personal responsibility, welfare, all these words are descriptors and they're all person-centered. They're not done in secret somewhere else. They are person-centered and they connect people together. The idea comes from um, sheep, raising sheep, caring for sheep, shepherding, herding sheep. It is very sheep-centric. It focuses on the sheep. They look for a flock. They care for a flock. They protect a flock. They give personal attention to each of the sheep in their flock. They teach. They build unity. They heal wounds. They do whatever is necessary to see people continue in their faith and to grow up in their spiritual lives. God's heart, His pastoral care heart, His desire for that smaller group, seeing each of those people predisposes this person to work in a limited number. The gifting does not lend itself well to leading extra large groups. Spiritual care, that's what it's about. It takes the form of teaching, pastoral care, or discipleship. The long-term journey with people so that they can be loved through life. So if your overriding concern is the health care and welfare of the people around you, then this might be a gift that you have. This is a gift that we need desperately in multiple places. Many people to have this gift, not just a person, but many people who would be involved in caring. We need you. Are you a pastor? Are you called? Does this pull at your heart? Third gift that we're going to talk about today, and the last one is evangelism. Incredibly necessary. Typically misunderstood, poorly portrayed publicly, and much maligned in our culture. So if I say to you, what is an evangelist? What do you think of? TV. TV evangelist. And when you say TV evangelist, who has a warm spot in their heart that just starts to glow? Yes, TV evangelists. What else comes to your mind when you think of evangelists? Money. That goes well with the TV evangelism side. Is there anything that you have that's a positive view of evangelism? That name, right? Is there another one? And you see the problem. We either have a view of evangelism that's horrible and dark and embarrassing, and we, we hold our head, we face palm. You know, we, I, oh, don't bring that. That is so not us. And on the other side, we say, Billy Graham, just slightly shy of divine. Like, he's like Jesus' half-brother kind of thing, right? He's, oh, Billy Graham. So you know what that means? Unattainable. I'll never be like Billy Graham. So we have one evangelist in the world who's doing something good, and everyone else is embarrassing, and we kind of wish they'd just stop. <coughs> That's the challenge. Because the gifting is there, and it's necessary, it's essential. And yet our examples, we, we don't do well with those. But do you know anyone who has no relationship or a, a broken relationship or a poor relationship with God? Do you know people who are far from God and in danger of losing the complete value of their lives? Do you know people who, because they have not asked and accepted Jesus as their Savior, 
are in danger of not spending eternity with Jesus in heaven? Do you think that we need some evangelists to help bring hope and grace and peace and salvation to our community, to the rest of our world? I do. I think we need those people. I think they are in desperate need right now. We want people to have a genuine encounter with Jesus. If that means attending into one community church, then I'm ecstatic. If that means they fit better somewhere else, fantastic. We are here to build and grow the kingdom of God and never the kingdom of Graham and never simply the kingdom of us. Be like us, come with us, do my thing. We are not in competition with any other church. We are in partnership with them to declare the name of Jesus that we together will say, Jesus is Lord. To reveal that Jesus is the hope to a lost world, to teach that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus is our sanctifier. He cleans us up and he fixes some of the junk that's inside. Jesus is our healer. He brings wholeness to life in all the ways that we need wholeness. And Jesus is our coming King. He will return and we need to be ready before He comes back in glory and in power. We declare these things about Jesus and this is the message that at its heart is the message of an evangelist. So the question we're trying to discern for you is, are you an evangelist? Is that the gifting that you have, not the office, the gifting? The term only appears three times in Scripture. Seriously? Three? That's it? The word only is used three times there. First time we read it, Ephesians 4.11. We just read it. Paul was mentoring at another time. He's mentoring a young pastor named Timothy. And he worked with him for a time, and then we, we, we have some of the correspondence writing back and forth between these two guys. We have some of Paul's letters to Timothy. And in the second letter that we have, um, Paul wrote to this young pastor who has the gift of pastor, but he also has the gift of evangelism. 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 5, says, But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's a great passage to look at some of the expectations that you should have. Hardship, right? It's, it's in the job description. It's there. This is what's going on. Timothy was an evangelist, but probably the most profound, the most noticeable, the most highlight reel kind of story that involves evangelists happens with a guy that we don't, we don't often talk about. You'll find him in the, in the later part of the book of Acts. Uh, we can jump in at Acts 21. If you get to verse 8, you can see this. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, 21 verse 8. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. You have to go back earlier into Acts to figure out what one of the seven is. There's the twelve and then there's the seven. Seven were like the second wave. We follow Philip. You can read a great story about him earlier on in Acts chapter 8. Christians, uh, for the first time, they're there. They're, they're on the scene. It started, there was about 20 of them. Then, Bablamo, there's like 3,000. And then, Kachango, there's like 5,000. And th th they're meeting together. They go to the outside of the temple because they, they can't control the inside of the temple. So there's 5,000 plus of them meeting inside the temple courts. And then they break up from there and they go to houses. And in those houses, they share together. They take care of each other. They serve communion to each other. They're finding that people are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Jesus was being um, preached. And then what happens? Do you remember how the story goes next? 
the word that none of us wants to happen to us, the persecution began. People were being murdered for their faith. They were being jailed. Children were being ripped apart from parents. Property was being removed. This is serious stuff. A major thing was happening. And the church, that early church, began to scatter. They went into all sorts of different places. And Philip was scattered to a, a small area called Samaria. Sort of between here and here. In the middle you have a Samaria. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, this is an area where there's a bunch of half-Jews. And half-Jews, unfortunately, like many, like many groups of people, people don't like the halves. And so Samaritans were hated by Jews. And this is why the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan was so significant because the understanding was we hate all Samaritans, right? So this is where Philip gets scattered to. And, you know, you lousy Samaritan. That's the way we would talk about people. They were just the wrong guys. This is where Philip is. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They weren't supposed to stay together and have a great time hanging out in the temple to get as big as they could, to enjoy being caring for each other and stay together. They were always supposed to go out because we have been blessed to be a blessing to all nations. That was always the plan of God. But they kind of liked being together. They said, worship was awesome today. I totally want to go back there next week. I really like what was happening. The, that, that speaker, the apostle, was doing a great job. I need more of that in my life. And God was saying, you're supposed to go. Go on. Get out there. Wherever they went, they were preaching. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was what? There was great joy in the city. When the work of the evangelist was happening, it brought about great joy. It made tremendous difference. Evidence of joy, evidence of fruit, evidence of power. The Holy Spirit is there. It's not what Philip is doing. It's what the Spirit of God is doing in partnership with him. And later on in this story, you know what? You should really read it. You should read this story. You should read your Bible. You should find out what's in there. Find out what's going on as this goes on. But later, the Spirit of God comes on Philip, gives him a word of knowledge, and says, Philip, go over to that man in a chariot. So what does he do? Philip hears and obeys, checks his calendar, sees that he's got about a 15-minute window that he can squeeze God in for there. As long as it doesn't go longer than 15 minutes, I can help you, God. No. God says go, and it says Philip ran. He ran to the right now? Okay, let's go. And he did that. That's weird. I don't respond like that. But that's what Philip did. He runs over to the chariot, and there's a man in the chariot, an Ethiopian, and he's called a God-fearer. And a God-fearer is someone who honored and respected Jehovah, who wanted to know more about him, was trying to learn, was trying to get involved, but was not Jewish by birth or by ceremony. Circumcision slows a lot of people down. God-fearer was easier to come to. But this man is reading a scroll. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit of God says to Philip, tell him. So can you imagine this? He just, like, imagine there's a car there. You just sort of run up to the car and start knocking on the window. Hi, I'm here to help. You know, that's going to freak people out, right? That would never happen. We don't want that. 
But this is the way it was working in this place because God was directing the whole package. So he comes up to this guy, a total stranger, who would appear to be an entirely different class of person. He's identified as a eunuch, so maybe the circumcision wasn't so scary for him. And he works for queen, the queen of Ethiopia, so he's part of the royal household. And that would show um, socially. He would have more wealth. Philip comes up, and he, at that moment, he is crossing ethnic, religious, cultural, and social status lines, all of them just blurred, and he just approaches the man. In uh, 34, it said, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. If you hang out with a real gifted evangelist, this is what happens. It comes up in so many different ways. It's not forced. It's not awkward. It's not rude. It's not weird. It's accepted and appreciated by the people involved. Like all the gifts, you know over time you have it because when you function there, you will experience great joy. Joy comes in the use of our spiritual gifts, and you will see results. Results that you can expect, not just for evangelism, but in general. When you're using your gift in the right way, with the right character, you can expect to experience joy, fruit, and power. Evangelism is the special ability of communicating the gospel message in relevant ways to unbelievers. It refers to the general or specific capacity to challenge people through various communication techniques, persuasion, to receive the gospel of salvation, and to see them take initial steps in Christian discipleship. It's not telling about Jesus and walking away. It's actually seeing something happen there. It's not just about presence. It's about proclamation. Evangelism is here. If you can remember, there were three groups of gifts. There was love, word, and power gifts. Evangelism is a word gift. It is about speaking. There's a famous statement. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's uh, typically attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And he says this, Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. It's a powerful statement from history. And it's a great reminder that every Christian should feel that call to live an authentic, honest, Jesus-filled, non-hypocritical life. It's an unconditional call to love in Jesus' name, to give food, water, support, counseling, benevolence. But presence is not giving the good news. One is not saved by being in the presence of someone who's doing something good. One is not saved by birth to the right family in the right country. One is not saved by attendance at that church or at any other church. One is not saved because it was the will of someone else, the desire that they had that you would be saved, regardless of how old you are. One is not saved by observing a godly life alone. People are saved by the hearing and responding to the good news. Romans chapter 10, start at verse 9. We're going to jump through Romans 10 here. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jump down to 14. 
10.14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Jump down to 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. People are saved by hearing the giving of the gospel. Gospel is another way of saying good news through preaching, through signs and wonders, through a personal conversation. Jesus might show up in their dreams. The point is that the gospel is not simply lived out. It has to be spoken. Our good works, our love for the needy, for the broken, us living an authentic life in the manner of Jesus allows us to create an atmosphere that will be conducive. It allows what must happen next. It opens up the ability to hear. It prepares. It authenticates. But Jesus and his work needs to be proclaimed. It is not an either or thing. It is a both and thing. And this is part of the issue with St. Francis of Assisi and his quote. It is impacted deeply by its context. In St. Francis's time, it was much more common to hear the words called out to people from a distance while there was no deeds or lifestyle that would enrich that message. You should be saved. Jesus is your salvation. Lying on the side of the road, starving. Keep right on going. Gave him the good news. Right? I proclaimed it. That was it. It was done. <coughs> so St. Francis is speaking to his culture at his time. who's saying, you talk about it, but you've got to do it. You've got to live this thing out. But in our culture, it's sort of the opposite. We are much more willing to stop and, hey, would you like a cup of water? Can I buy, can I buy you some, some food? Can I get you some clothes? Can I get you taken care of? But nothing about Jesus. Nothing about the possibility of salvation that would come from that. We would tend to not proclaim, just do. In St. Francis's time, they would proclaim, but not do. We need both. They go together. It's a package. Completeness, wholeness is what we're about. Our lives are being transformed, and us living that way creates an environment that softens people, softens them, softens them to the verbal proclamation and grace and hope found in Jesus. We do not claim scalps or souls. We don't have a spiritual ledger that said, God, three more souls today. We are called to be faithful, courageous, and obedient. But the Spirit calls people through us. John 6, Jesus is saying, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. You don't save people even if you try really hard. Even if you pray extra hard, you don't save people. Jesus saves people by the influence of the Holy Spirit at the will of God the Father. That's how the process works. We are in it. We don't make it happen. So remove that guilt that you've been feeling for years that you don't do enough. Not enough is happening around you. Diligently pursue Jesus. Pray for the people that are around you. But ask the Spirit to work and to move. Many, many, many people that we are around that are not Christians are great people. They are kind. They are good. 
They are worth following in many ways. They give their time. They give their money. They give their food. They give their expertise. They volunteer. They go on trips. They build houses. They provide shelters. They are incredibly generous. But none of that generosity and kindness puts you ever in right relationship with the living God. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. It's a gift that's given to us. We accept it because Jesus offered it. Evangelism is the gift of giving just one thing. The good news of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need this super crystal clear as we look forward to our role and ministry adjusting and growing as we move into our new home. We have a mission and a purpose that distinguishes us from many other groups. Do not be confused. We can create an environment, but the environment is there to bring us to the place where we say Jesus is Lord. It is not simply to create an environment. We release a thrilling report of what happened historically that brings joy right now because the Lord Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. He died for my sins personally 20 centuries ago. He was buried, but on the third day he rose physically from the dead. God the Father can now accept his son's sacrifice as full satisfaction for all the garbage all the selfishness that I have committed against God, against myself, and against others. If I reach out in trust and faith and receive Jesus as my Savior, I get declared righteous by God. Not through anything I do, but by the merits, the works, the abilities, the grace, the relationship, the credit of Jesus Christ and the life that he shed, the blood that he shed for me. No longer am I exposed to the penalty of the law that I broke. I get to become called a child of God. I am forgiven. I am in good standing with the living God because of Jesus alone, I get to be adopted into his family. And as I begin to embrace this good news, then what begins to happen is that the implications work themselves out in my life. I have joy because everything I did in my past is never ever going to be used against me again. God will never bring it up and say, don't you remember what you've done? Think about that for a moment. Think about that list of things. God has removed it from us, but he never forgets it. He knows it. It's there. He consciously, regularly says, I will never use that against you again. That's the freedom from our past. He gives the Holy Spirit so that we might live like Christ. He gives us hope because death is not the end. That's good news. This is the message of the evangelist. Jesus is where shame and guilt and selfishness and grace collide. And God says to a really messed up world, and he says to us personally, it's not too late. Life has more to offer. Let me show you. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. We're going to start today, we're starting our countdown to our Easter celebration, to the coming of Jesus, to the, the, the celebration of his giving his life for us. The heart of evangelism is the message of Christ. And we are called to participate, but we are not called to have this gift. Some of us are, not everyone. We're called to be in it, but we're not responsible for it. We remain bold and faithful and obedient to do the work that the Spirit is leading us to do. We never make anyone come to God. The Spirit does that. We delight 
we display in the work of God in our lives, and we pray that the Spirit will soften hard hearts. Here's a couple of the symptoms. Uh, an easy ability to talk with strangers, an intense burden at the thought of people being unsaved and separated from God that motivates you. You have the ability to effortlessly insert spiritual truth into normal conversation and it doesn't feel weird. You have a freedom and joy in talking about Christian things, which is natural and unforced. People ask you about Jesus. They ask you about your faith. They ask you what you believe. People become Christians around you, directly or indirectly. You pray regularly. Names come to you. Name by name you pray for people who are not Christians. You have a strong desire to share your faith with others. Do you enjoy talking to others about Jesus? There's joy again, right? Enjoy it. Are you seeing results? This gift is central for us in the church. It is transformational in the work that the world is going through right now as well. We need people to know that they can be welcomed into a community, that they can be loved and cared for. So as we close today, first, are you a Christian? The message of the evangelist is, first of all, a message to us. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Have you ever personally, physically, verbally responded to the message of Jesus? Have you sensed the Spirit nudging you? Hebrews 3 tells us, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did during the rebellion. Turn to him. Respond to him. Let's pray for that first. If this is where you are, you can pray with me. God, I am a sinner. I am selfish, and I have messed up. I believe that Jesus can help me, and I am ready for some help now. I take Jesus as my Savior, my defender. Please forgive me for what I have done that goes against your law. Accept me as your child. Help me to learn and grow closer to you. Thank you for saving me, for your love, for your grace, for me. Amen. If you've prayed that for the first time today, or if that's an important part for you, then please tell someone. Tell me. Tell someone you came with. Make sure that you're not on your own. We are here to grow you together. We are all on this road trip together in earnest pursuit of Jesus. He brings hope and grace and faith into our lives. None of us are done yet. We want to celebrate that with you. You should not be on your own. It's a community kind of thing. It's a family thing. Second, did you recognize yourself today? Did you hear leader and say, that's, that's what I think. I think that's what I'm responding to. Did you hear pastor? Is that the way you're working? Or evangelist? If that is you, leader, pastor, evangelist, just like the other weeks, we're going to ask you to stand. Is that where you think God is calling you? Is anyone here, do you sense leader, pastor, evangelist? All right. Then we also went back for some other weeks. If you weren't here, and we talked about some of those earlier parts of the series, administration, serving, mercy, giving. You heard, you've heard those, those names. You've you, you listened to some of the description of them. Did that resonate with you? If that's you, please stand. We're going to be uh, praying for uh, you together. If you, you have not responded previously and you, you thought the, the next week, which was teaching, exhortation, or apostleship, was that you? Did you find yourself in those places? Okay, if that's you, we're, we're, we're going to pray for you together. We're going to uh, pray that you would discover well. 
and that you would be commissioned going forward into service. So to join with them, we ask the rest of the family, if you, uh, if you can stand, please stand, and we will pray blessing on all of these. Jesus, thank you for your word. It is real and it is true. Thank you for distributing gifts in our midst. Thank you for just littering this place with, with your grace and power. Thanks for giving the gifts of leading, pastoring, and evangelism. God, we so desperately need each of these. Release your children to serve. Thanks also for blessing us richly with people who have the gifts of administration and helps and mercy and giving and teaching and apostleship, exhortation. We are better for them. God, we are in desperate need that each of these gifts would be walked into and implemented in our midst. We are better for each of them. God, I pray that you would give us the character to use our gifts well. God, we ask that you would give us the mutual submission that we need to remain in unity, the ability and desire to serve and to build up the church. May the power of Christ be re released upon these that are standing. May this again be beyond all that we can ask or even imagine. Provide honor to them as they use the gifts that you have given them. You desire that they would be built up at the same time. I pray for the character that they need to work these things out well. We pray that you would use these gifts in our midst in the ways that you would see fit. We need them and we need your leadership of them. So please do that. Give us a pure motive to use our gifts well. Fill each with the presence of your spirit that they might be able to listen, hear, and respond to what you are teaching. Give them opportunities to use their gifts, to serve. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Empower them, we pray. Release them and use them with, with this power given to each. God, we pray that you would build your church called into one. We pray that you would build your church in Stouffville and in York Region and in Ontario and Canada and throughout the world. And as we pray these things for into one, God, we stand beside our friends and our partners at All Nations Church in Phuket, Thailand. We pray that you will bless the Burnett's, Derek and Bonnie, as they lead and try to grow this international church there. We ask that these gifts that we are talking about today would be made manifest in their presence as well. We look forward to watching what you do in our midst and to tell each other stories of your great faithfulness and your incredible love. Be glorified in our midst. Be lifted up for you, Jesus, our Lord of all. Grow your church, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being with us again today. It's better when you're here. And it's better when we're